I'm going to be speaking from up here because I want to use a chalkboard. Old school. Going back to uh, prehistoric days. <laughs> so we don't have we don't have the screen. John and Kathy are somewhere down in Texas, I think, or getting close by now. And they'll be back soon. But uh, at this point, we're going to revert back to what we've done before, and that is to uh, sing from the songbooks and preach from the Word without the help of the overhead screens. So we will be a little bit handicapped along that line, especially those who have a hard time seeing and seeing at a distance, and that's generally most of us. The, the question that came up, Jesus healed or raised the, the widow's son, the widow of Nain. He raised the boy and gave the boy back to his mother. And it said there was a great fame that went out of him, about him, of course. It, it, there was a lot of talk that had to go on because of what he did. And two of the disciples of John came to Jesus and they came with a message from John and the question was, are you the one? Are you the one that should come? And Jesus' response was very clear, wasn't it? Now what we don't get is, Jesus didn't say, I'm quoting from the scriptures, but he was. He was actually taking a text from the book of Isaiah, as we have it recorded, in Isaiah chapter 35. And so I'm going to read from that. Jesus told them, he said, go and tell John that the deaf hear, the blind have their sight restored, the lame walk, the dead are raised. And he said, uh, and the gospel is being preached. But what he's saying here is taken from Isaiah chapter 35. And in that text, at verse 5, it says, the eyes of the blind. How's that? Okay. Wonderful. Okay. What what was going on? What is happening with Jesus is that he's going to gain a following. He's going to become a leader. Now he's not a leader quite at this point, but there was an anticipation. In other words, there was a a uh, well. Let's just call it. An anticipation and we know that uh, when something when somebody's going to attain some status of leadership uh, generally there was there's some information given ahead of time that this individual is going to be thrust into prominence uh, I kind of liken it to the the crowd that goes in front of a circus that comes to town. They go in preparation, preparing everybody that somebody is coming. Something is coming. coming. Some wonderful thing is going to happen and you, you should get prepared for it. So what was happening in the Old Testament was that God was preparing people for something that was coming and they were in anticipation of an, of an individual who is going to arrive on the scene. And of course, we know that to be Jesus. Now, without a doubt, today, Jesus is the greatest leader for the improvement of humanity that the world has ever seen. Setting aside the 
perversions and the distortions of the doctrine of Jesus, we know this, that Jesus is the most popular individual on this earth. 2.6 billion people believe something about him and that he is the leader that God sent from heaven to give us direction. Now that's the most popular individual ever. And he's still there. These statistics are taken from 2020. So we do know that Jesus is still esteemed as an extremely wonderful leader of humanity. We know that. At that time, before Jesus arrived, it was anticipated that he was coming, but they didn't know anything about him. Therefore, uh, for him to become a leader of humanity, something had to transpire that would thrust him into that role of leadership. Now, everybody's not a leader of men or women or children. Everybody's not a Pied Piper for the children. Everybody is not a leader that is a charismatic individual who can guide people in the direction that they need to go or that, that he wants them to go. But Jesus is that type of leader. He is a leader now and was he became a leader then. And, and let's explore how he became that type of a leader. How did he get into that position? Now, the first thing we know is about Jesus is that he was born in an obscure village called Bethlehem, a little hamlet. But he was from an unknown town in the north of Jerusalem, and that was called Nazareth in Galilee. And that little hamlet of Nazareth was generally disparaged by individuals that were in leadership roles in Jerusalem and in Rome at that time. It was uh, it was a place that, that was so obscure and so unknown that when Nathaniel, who later became a follower of Jesus, was told that Jesus was coming, the Christ was coming out of Nazareth, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So it was, it was a disparaged community. And the area itself of Galilee was so underrated that, that uh, when later on the leaders in Israel found out that Jesus, that Jesus Christ, was from Galilee, that they made the comment that, uh, look in the prophets, there's nothing that comes out of Galilee. So they, they, they recognized or they thought that there's nothing good coming and therefore for someone to assume that the leader of all humanity would come from Nazareth out of Galilee would be unheard of, really. So it really wouldn't, wouldn't have any, any uh, bearing on, on a person. Now, the second thing that we need to look at as a leader, he was anticipated. The Christ was anticipated. He was anticipated. And he was, he was announced Somebody came along and said, the Christ is coming. Someone's coming. Someone you need to listen to. Someone you need to pay attention to. Now, the first one that introduced Jesus was John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to be reading in John chapter 1 at verse 19, starting at verse 19. 
And then it says, this is the record of John. And before I get too far along in this, we have the advantage of hindsight. We're looking back at all of these things that are taking place. But try to transport yourself back to that time when Jesus is first appearing. And you're going to be asking yourself the same question that John the Baptist asked himself. Are you the one? Basically, the people are going to be asking this question. Who are you? Who are you? He's going to become the leader of all of humanity, of the majority of humanity, the greatest leader the world's ever known, with people following him. And the question is, are you, are you him? Who are you? Well, John is going to announce it. He's going to, he's, and sometimes when, when there's going to be a keynote speaker at a banquet, let's say, or in an event, or at a graduation, or some great event that takes place, the keynote speaker will be announced and will be introduced by someone that has some prominence and some authority and some reputation himself. So who's going to introduce Jesus? John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist had gained his own reputation. He was in the wilderness, and people had been flocking to him because he was preaching a message that he said was coming from heaven, that the kingdom was coming. Repent, the kingdom is coming. And so when they came to ask John, are you the one that everybody's talking about, the one coming? It says, this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? They were asking him that. He confessed and denied not, but confessed. He said, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. And he said, are you that prophet? They're talking about Moses. And he said, no. They said unto him, who are you? That we may give an answer to them that uh, sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why do you baptize then if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? John answered, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one out among you that you don't know. And he, he it is who comes after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it. I'm not even, even worthy to untie. These things were done in Beth Barbara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold. So now you're getting the introduction to Jesus. He's introducing the new leader of humanity. That's what he's doing. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's one introduction. The second introduction was from the Father himself, from God himself. In Matthew chapter 3 at verse 13 through 17, it says, Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. Now, why would John say something like that? John was at this point 
the most prominent leader in that area. Most prominent, respected leader in, in the whole area. And he said, I have need to be baptized of you and, and you're coming to me. Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer to be so, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, Here's the introduction. Here's the introduction that Jesus needs to be the leader of humanity. Behold my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's the good one. He's the one. Now, Jesus was gaining a reputation. At this point, it's, it's kind of hard for us to go back in the Bible and, and find anything else about Jesus except a few different morsels of tracks, breadcrumbs, which we can sort of follow until the time that he was baptized. We know this, that when he was a small boy, according to Luke chapter 2, when he was a small boy, he 12 years old, he went to the city of Jerusalem, and he sat down with the leaders in Israel, and he discussed the scriptures with them. But we also know from other texts that Jesus had a habit and a custom every Saturday to be in the synagogue, every Saturday to be among people just like you are here today who are studying the scriptures. He was there every Saturday. That was his custom. So he was gaining a reputation as being a student and a teacher of God's word. So he has a reputation See if I can get this thing to work. His reputation preceded him. They knew that they knew that he was becoming a capable teacher. He became accumulated. He began to accumulate followers because he was teaching in the synagogue. He was teaching before he ever was baptized of John. He was teaching in the synagogue. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 says, When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as his custom was, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Well, that tells us that between the time that we read about him in Luke chapter 2, about him being in the uh, Jerusalem, talking to the rabbis, from that time, from the time he was 12 years old until the time he was 30 years old, he, would, he made it his custom every Sabbath day, every Saturday, to be in the synagogue reading the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. Why was there a fame about Jesus? He was gaining a reputation. And it says he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He was gaining his reputation. He was becoming a leader. Now, at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, you remember the Sermon on the Mount? That's a long series of teachings of the doctrine of Jesus. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5 through verse 7, we have the whole set 
of his Sermon on the Mount. So when he finished that sermon on the Mount, it says at verse 28 in Matthew chapter 7, it came to pass when Jesus had entered the, had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, let me tell you something before we get too much further along. We know Isaiah chapter 53 describes Jesus. When we're talking about a leader, most of us think in terms of charisma. Someone who just has a powerful, charismatic presence about them. A natural born leader of men. Have you ever heard that expression? That was not the presence of Jesus. That was not how he came across. Isaiah 53 said he had no comeliness that we should desire him. So he didn't have a natural presence or an aura of charisma. But he did teach. And his teaching and what he was saying was powerful. And his fame went out. And they glorified him. They said, this, this is... This man's got something, and it's not, his, it's not that he was head and shoulders above every man in Israel. It wasn't that he, he had any beauty about him. He had no form or comeliness that we should desire him, Isaiah said. What was it about him? Well, later in the life of Jesus, in John chapter 7, it, the record is there, that the uh, leaders in Israel were getting concerned about him because he was gaining more stature and popularity than they had. People were flocking. Well, we know as we read the New Testament, multitudes followed Jesus. How many? On one occasion, we're told that there were 5,000 men plus women and children. Probably over seven to 8,000 people. Can you imagine that many people out on the hillsides, outside the city limits, outside the confines of a great bowl or an arena, people all over the country, dust raising everywhere, over seven to 8,000 people following Jesus? Well, naturally, these leaders are going to get concerned. He's, he's, gaining, he's gaining some popularity. People are following him. Why? Well, we know that he was healing folks. People were bringing their sick and their disease and their, their handicapped folks to him, and he was healing them. He was a very compassionate man. And he was feeding them. These folks that came out to see him, they got hungry, and he just sat, sat, sat them down in tens and fifties, and he fed them because he felt compassion for them. But this, there, was a, there was a time when, when uh, the rulers wanted to arrest him. They wanted to stop this. Let's put a stop to this. Let's get a hold of this man and bring him in and shut this movement down. Let's stop it. Cut it off. And so they sent soldiers to get him. And the soldiers came back after they went to get him. The soldiers came back empty-handed. They didn't bring him. They said, why have you brought him? And they said, we listened to him, and never man spoke like that. They had never heard a man speak like that 
in their life. They said, never anybody spoke like that. And these rulers said, what are, what are you Galileans? What's wrong with you? It wasn't just the Galileans that were following him. Jesus was a good speaker. He was becoming known as a reputable speaker. And, you know, there's some other things we have to think about this. We have to think about his family. When we talk about a leader, we usually, we usually ask the question, where did he come from? What sort of background does he have? Who are his parents, his aunts, his uncles, his nieces, his nephews, his brothers, his sisters? The, who, who is this man? You know, Jesus came. It doesn't, there's not a great deal said about it in the Bible, but Jesus came from a reputable family, a good background. Did you know that? Matter of fact, people knew his family. When he, went, when he was in Nazareth, and he was teaching. It said that all that bear him witness in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, wondered at the gracious words that proceed out of his mouth. They were hearing what he was saying. And you know what they asked? They, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They knew Joseph. They knew Jesus' earthly father. And he had a good reputation, apparently, because they couldn't say anything bad about him. They didn't bring up anything demeaning or negative about his character. They said, isn't this the son of Joseph? Well, so what? If there was something they could have said negative about Joseph, they would have, but they didn't. They just said, we know his family. Okay, nothing wrong with his family. On another occasion, Matthew chapter 13, verse 54 through 57 the text says, when he was coming into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Insomuch that they were astonished and said, where does this man get all this wisdom and his mighty works? Where did he get it? Is not this the carpenter's son? So they're reflecting back on his family. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet isn't without honor except in his own country and in his own house. So they knew his family. And when we're thinking about a leader, someone who's leading other people, who is obviously someone that the people have respect and confidence in, we generally are going to ask that question. What about his family? What sort of background does he have? What, what sort of reputation does he have? What's, what about this man? The next thing we want to look at is his character. The character of a leader has to be sterling. What kind of character does he have? What sort of man was he? Well, we know some things about Jesus. We know that uh, he, it was said later on in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. 
At John chapter 8, verse 46, here's a, here's a point of his character. They were questioning Jesus about his doctrine. And Jesus responded and said, Which of you convicts me of sin? Which of you can find a sin in my life, in my background? Where is the flaw in my character? Right? So when we look about we'll look at leaders, and especially when we look at religious leaders, what are we looking for? We're looking for character strength. And if we find a character flaw, then we're going to find a leader who has feet of clay, and he's going to crumble in our estimation. Isn't that correct? People who, who attain a great deal of influence over other people as leaders have to have a sterling character that does not have a flaw, that is a flaw that, will, that would keep them from being a leader. He obviously, Jesus obviously, uh, empathized with those who were suffering. We know he had that, that characteristic about him. He was compassionate. He healed everyone that came to to him for help. He didn't deny anyone. He didn't say, wait, I'll, I'll heal these. These go in the background. I won't heal these. I'll take care of these. Bring me these. Everybody knew that his character was that of empathetic. He was empathetic. He was someone who cared. People came to him from every place. They reached out, touched him, put their hands on him. They wanted, to, they wanted to touch him. They wanted to know. They wanted to feel his power. And they were not afraid that he was going to chastise them or turn them away. His character was wonderful. He fed multitudes because he knew they were hungry. And he abased himself. Jesus did not travel with an armed bodyguard. He did not travel in a conveyance that had him protected against the elements. Jesus existed and traveled among the people. He was with them. He was common. He was a common man. He was a man like everyone else, and people were very willing to come to him under any circumstances. They weren't afraid that they were going to be rebuffed because they knew that he was compassionate. He accepted his situation... And he accepted his station in life. He did not exalt himself above the ordinary man. Now, leaders don't usually behave in that fashion. Natural leaders do not place themselves on the same plane and the same level as you're on. They don't do that. They, they step up to the dais. They want to be on the platform. They want to be above others. They want to be untouchable. They want to be set aside. They want to be recognized for who they are. When Jesus went to a feast, you know what they did? They shuffled him off to the side. He went to the home of Simon the leper, the guy he actually, actually healed. Went into his house. And, and there they didn't even offer to wash his feet, a common courtesy that they extended to everyone. They didn't even wash his feet. He saw everybody else take the high places and he took the low place. What kind of leader does that? Well, Jesus did. This is, this is what he did. This is how he, how he led. And he inspired confidence and loyalty to those who believed him and were willing to follow him wherever he went. Now, 
Let me tell you something. As we're reading the New Testament, we don't get the full flavor of everything going on because we didn't live back then. But when Jesus walked up on the seashore and he saw four brothers fishing, two in one boat, two in the other, he walked up on the seashore, Matthew chapter 4, and he found Peter, Peter and Andrew in a boat. And he said just two words, follow me. And you know what they did? They got out of their boat. They left their job that day. They quit their occupation. And they followed him and they turned around and talked to the, their partners in the other boat, James and John, and said, come on. And they all came. Four men in the, in the midst of their business occupation got up and left and followed Jesus. Can you imagine the influence and the power of a man who can inspire someone to do something like that? And he said, I'll, I'll let you fish for men. They had no idea what they were going to do. But the power of Jesus as a leader was obvious to these men. Come on, let's go. And they went. And then when he came to a fellow that was in public service, you know what public service is? You work for the government. That's what Levi was doing. He's working for the government. And he was making a good living, a wonderful living. He was excelling in what he did. And Jesus looked at him at the money changer, at the table of the tax collector, and he said, Follow me. Levi, whose name later became known as Matthew, who wrote the book that I've just been quoting. He got up and followed. Before he did, you know what he did? He got around and he, he spread a large repast, a big feast for Jesus and invited all of his friends and all of his family and Jesus and his apostles and fed them all. Can you imagine? These men got up in the middle of their occupation and walked away because they knew this man was their leader. He was their leader. They left him. They left their jobs. They left their lives. They left their homes. They left their service. From among the crowds that followed him, Jesus chose 12 men. He chose 12 men that we call apostles. And he told them he was going to send them out on a mission. Now, if you could imagine, you've left your job, you've left your home, you've left your occupation, you don't know where your next dollar is coming from, or your next denarii, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, but this man said, I want you to do something for me, I want you to go into all the cities in Israel, all around this community, and tell them what I've been preaching. And off they went. He took 70 more men, same way. Luke chapter 10, and told them the same thing. And off they went. And they came back happy. They came back because they were following Jesus. He made, it's very obvious, that Jesus made some demands. This is one of them. He didn't, he didn't actually say, you've got to leave everything in that sense. But later he did. 
Later he told them, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make some requirements, requests for you that are beyond anything anybody has ever asked you to do. And he, what did he do? First of all, he said, the first thing I want you to do, first thing you get up in the morning before you have breakfast, first thing you do before you have lunch, first thing you do before you, anything, first thing you do, seek the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of righteousness. They'd been asking the question. They were concerned about what they were going to eat, what they are going to wear, where they were going to live. And he said, first thing first. If you're going to follow me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's one demand, right? Another demand was, be prepared to choose me over your family. Choose me over your family. Choose me over your friends. Choose me over everyone else. I'm numero uno. I'm number one in your life. That's quite. Jesus was that type of leader. They did. They're willing to do that. He said, He that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Son or daughter, Husband or wife, not worthy of me. Me first, he said, me first. Then he said, be willing to give up all your worldly goods if I ask you to. Now that's what he told the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Rich young ruler said, good master, what, what thing must I do? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. And they went through a discussion about this. And then the young ruler said, I've done all these things. And Jesus said, okay, sell all that you have, give the poor, come follow me. Now, a man comes up to you, you're following me. He turns to you and says, okay, now what I want you to do, I want you to sell your house, sell your boat, sell your car, sell whatever land you have, Sell all your goods, give it to the poor, and I'll take you somewhere. Wow. Uh, that, that's something, isn't it? Well, Peter, that, that struck Peter. It hit him pretty hard. Because generally, if someone says, come follow me, and I, I've got something I want you to do, I'm going to make you fishers of men, Okay. And I'm, I'm going to send you out and tell everybody, give them the message I've been giving them. I'm going to do all that. The first question modern man is going to ask is, how much does it pay? What's my salary? Are you going to double my salary? I'm, am I going to get overtime? Double time, triple time? What, what's it going to pay? What, what's in it for me? Isn't that right? That's what Peter asked. When Peter was told that he's got to give up everything, he said, uh-oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't get into it just for the kicks. He said, I, I need to know what's in it for me. And he asked that question. You know what? He asked the question in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. He said, Jesus said, if you'll be perfect, go sell you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. And Peter asked the question. He said, Lord, we have, we have left all. What shall we have? And Jesus said, well, he said, I, 
He said, I'll let you sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and I'll give you hundredfold, hundredfold of what you have left behind and eternal life. Then he said, but the first is going to be last and the last is going to be first. So don't expect things right now and don't expect it the way you would actually expect it. So the, the point we're making here is that he's making some demands of them. Now, here are the demands, as we know, as we read the New Testament. He was going to demand people who followed him to change their perspective of life, change your entire perspective. Whatever you, whatever you, perspective you have of life, it's going to have to change. I'm going to give you a new life and a new way. You're going to be, as a matter of fact, he told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to start all over again. Change your allegiances. You're going to have to change your responsibilities. That is, you're going to have to change from following parents' advice, peers' advice, employers' advice. You're going to have to follow my advice. That's what Jesus was saying. Change your allegiance. Put your complete trust in me. Jesus told these men, these same men, at one time, he said, and sometimes we don't get the full impact of what he's telling them. They're wondering what's going on. And Jesus makes a statement that is so broad. He said, I am the way. Now, if you were to look at me and say, well, Bill, what should we do? And I, I would tell you, tell you what, I am the way. If you're going to make it, you're going to have to do it my way. My way or the highway. I am the way, the truth. So whatever opinion I have, whatever I say, is right and can't be wrong. And I'm life. You don't have a life without me. I am the way, he told them. I am the truth, and I am the life. So it was like it's all or all or none at all. Everything or nothing with Jesus. That's what he was saying. Now, Change your perspective. Put your complete trust in me. He that comes to God must believe that he is. He's rewarded if them that diligently seek him. Forget your past mistakes. Forget your past life. I'll give you a new life. Be prepared to remake your entire life. Follow me at all cost. Give me your undivided loyalty. Trust me above all others who advise you. Come, follow me. He was a leader. He was a leader. He had been anticipated. The world was anticipating a leader. He had been announced, John the Baptist, and the Father in Heaven also announced him. He had a reputation he had a reputation for knowing the Scriptures and teaching the Scriptures. He had a reputation for being a good man because he had a good family behind him, good, good relationships. He had good character. He had a sterling character, a sterling character. Some religious individuals have let their popularity go to their head. And so they ruin themselves by doing disreputable things, and they lose their reputation. And they lose their character. 
And he made demands. He made demands that nobody else has ever made. And he made demands on us that nobody else can make or has made. Give it your all. Give him your all. That's what he told these men. And they followed him. Now, to be um, honest, not, not necessarily honest, but, but to be reliable at this point and, and to, be, to be sure that we don't misinform anybody, when Jesus was taken to the cross of Calvary, these men decided they weren't going to follow him any longer. He was gone. They were disappointed. So at that point in their life, when Jesus died on the cross, everything came crashing down around them. Where has our leader gone? He's gone. He must not have been the one. He must not have been the one. Now, I know that happened because Luke chapter 24 tells me that. In Luke 24, verse 18, three days after Jesus had been crucified, we know he'd been resurrected. But three days after this, it says in Luke 24, verse 18, it says uh, there were two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, because Jesus appeared to them, and they didn't recognize him, but he appeared to them and was walking with them on the road after his resurrection. And it says, Cleopas answered Jesus and said, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which came to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. They still didn't know who he was. He was talking to them. And it says their eyes were closed, so they couldn't, they couldn't recognize him. They said, He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had, it, that it had been him. We trusted that he was the one. That he was the one. But at this point, he said, and this is the third day since these things were done. They lost their confidence at that point that Jesus was the one. Now, Jesus leads today by example, by doctrine. He actually controls or at least touches as a leader the hearts of 2.6 billion people on this earth. They consider him to be the leader. And the question sometimes comes to us. Something happens in our life. Some tragedy. Something befalls us that knocks us off of our feet. Something disturbs us. Something discourages us. Something shakes our faith. Somebody shakes our faith. And we ask that question, that terrible question. Is, is he really the one? Is he really the one? Is he? Is he the one? Is he your leader? God help you make that decision. When you make that decision, he's the one. You're going to do anything he tells you. You're going to repent. 
You're going to believe in Him as the Son of God. You're going to confess His name and be baptized. And you're going to rise out of the waters of baptism. And you're going to follow Him wherever He tells you to go. And you're going to do whatever He tells you to do. Because He is the One. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.